Hey guys, welcome to episode 61 of the Karina Duffy podcast. We have a very special guest today and we have special guests over the next four episodes of real people with real stories. So first up we have Ian Lawton. Ian's son passed away at one day old 10 years ago and Ian has been living with deep grief for the last 10 years but more so for the first seven to eight years which did result in Ian becoming morbidly obese because he was eating his emotions. He found comfort in eating um, to the point where he used to get up out of bed, everyone would be asleep and he used to sneak out of bed, drive to the chipper and order food for more than one person and that's where he found his solace. But Ian has found his inner peace in the most strangest way that he's going to explain here within this podcast. Um, So if you... Generally, any interview that Ian has done before and previous this, because I've researched Dean over and back when I found him on Instagram a few weeks ago, everybody and every interviewer focused on Ian's running. I wanted to know how he felt. I wanted to know how he felt in his darkest time and how he feels now, how he got there and what support he was what support he got along the way that helps him to get to where he is today. And that is exactly Ian's message. Ian's message is to share that there is support out there, regardless if you're a man or a woman, that there is support out there. You do not have to sit in silence and grief is real and it affects people in so many ways. Grief affects people in ways that they, that they never even had a physical loss, that it affects them that they lost a part of their life through a traumatic experience. But Ian is going to talk about loss through infants and babies and how it's a very unspoken thing in modern day society, which I totally agree with it is. And sometimes people suffer in silence and that shouldn't be the case. And this is Ian's message and Ian is campaigning um, now through his charity runs and um, and through his message online that there is help out there and he is going to be the voice for all men to say that you do not have to sit in silent silence and there is help out there. So without further ado, um, I'll let Ian tell his story. Hi Ian, thanks Mill for coming on today to the podcast episode. I'm delighted to have you here. So I gave you a quick introduction there, but Ian, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit further? Thanks, Karina, and thanks for inviting me onto your show. Um, well, as you've, as you, I guess you've just uh, brought up there. I am a bereaved father um, of. Uh, I lost my son Hank uh, ten years ago, and it feels like it's, it feels like yesterday. You know, it's it's still a very fresh, fresh thing, a very real part of my life, and something that I deal with on a daily basis. It's not something that. Uh, that you forget it's not something that you uh you uh, you just learn to live with it i guess it becomes a part of you i mean you know uh, any parent just you know falls in love with their children at love at first sight it's 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 innate it's an innate connection and innate an innate love that you have and whether they're present in your life or not that love is still remains there with you and uh yeah, so that's that's who I am. That's part of who I am, and uh, because of this, uh, I guess, profound absence in my life, I've um, I've sort of decided to be very public in my grief, particularly coming up to 
the, the what would be his 10th birthday, which was uh, on February the 1st. And um, sort of to celebrate his life and to acknowledge his existence, uh, like any parent, you want to throw a big deal party. You know, it's a landmark time, 10 years. You know, you want to really push the boat out and have all the cake and streamers and presents that you could possibly, you know, indulge and, you know, spoil your kid with. But, um, but he's, not, he's, he's not here. He died the day after he was born. Which is still, you know, even saying it out loud now, 10 years later, makes me choke up. Because that love is, is, is as real to me as it is to my, his older brother, who is very much a part of my life. And I see him every day and I, um, you know, I've been a stay-at-home dad since, since he was nine days of age, you know, so I'm very connected to being a dad. Um, so that connection that I have for my youngest son is, is the very same, is the very same. Um, and you've two, three, two other kids, are there three other kids or two? I have one little, one little boy who's, who's 13 in December, wow. yeah, and, and Hank, who, who would have turned 10 in February. In February. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I did, a, I did a big deal thing um, by running 10 marathons in 10 days and finishing on what would have been his 10th birthday just to i guess sort of be uh, a beacon of light to show that the, that hurt and that pain and that bereavement is is something that's real and tangible and that this person had an impact and that this person mattered and still matters to me and the reality is, is that um, babies die every day, every single day. And um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a tragedy. I mean, it is, it, 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 uh, there's no two ways of, about it. It's a, it's a tragedy and, uh, and people live with it. And it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a secret tragedy. It's a, it's, it's a very private tragedy. It's a very unknown an unacknowledged tragedy, you know, in, 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 even in the English language, there isn't a word to describe a bereaved parent. You know, if, if you lose your partner, your husband or your wife, you become a widow or a widower, that's acknowledged. If a child loses their parents, they're orphaned, they're, they become an orphan. So there's a language to describe who you are. There's an identity, but there's a, nobody, nobody wants to acknowledge dead babies. Society doesn't want to know about it. There's like, oh, that's too painful for us to, to know about. So we won't even give you a name. We won't even acknowledge you. So it's a secret, secret thing. And I think it's time to end that secrecy. And I think we need to, to own our grief and own our bereavement. And, you know, you get the, you know, in the aftermath, you do get the sympathy and you do get the um, the attention and then it's a sort of wanes it's like ah, they're over by now sure they your, your your kid was only a day old you didn't even get to know him you know so what yeah. are you so upset about you know and that that's a that's hard as well that's hard yeah and and what's what's hard for for a dad is dads don't lose babies um 
And that is not to, that's not to diminish the role of our partners and our wives because we've watched what they've gone through and the helplessness that you endure by knowing that you can't do anything to take the pain away. And what they go through is so, it's horrific to, to witness. Um, phys- physically, you know, going through the pain and agony of childbirth and to not have that reward after that or to have it taken from you instantly. And then to, when in that absence to, you know, to be producing milk for a baby that isn't there, it's, 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 it's horrific to, to, to watch. So physically we, we don't go through the same thing, but mentally I've, I've, I've realized that we're, we're on a par for sure. It is to, like, it wasn't always this way for you, to you know, that kind of way. It's, there was, what, seven years there that mm. you, I read the article that you said that you were just physically manifesting the depression inside you, you know, everything got kept in. Yeah, I, I mean, grief is a weird thing. Grief is, is a very weird thing. And there's a really good quote by um, the writer Michael Rosen. And he says, we're all experts in our own grief. And I became a complete and utter expert in comfort eating. That was that was what satiated me. That's what gave me the sort of the, the comforting hug from within that I was craving and desiring. And because in you know intellectually, I knew I couldn't. It was impossible for me to be the only you know the only dad in the world who lost lost a kid. But emotionally, um, I felt completely alone. You know, I felt awfully alone. Um, I had a couple of mates that I could sort of confide in from time to time, one in particular, and they were there and they were supportive and they were brilliant and loved them to bits, but they had no frame of reference, you know? And whenever someone thinks of someone losing their kid they go oh I, I can't imagine that but you know of course not why would you even want to imagine your kid dead you know that's you know don't please don't try to imagine it that's really upsetting so don't yeah um, then well from my point of view I don't know how to handle certain situations like that so I kind of pull back a bit because mm, I don't mm. know how to handle I don't you don't want you don't want to say something you don't want to hurt somebody yeah. and sometimes it's easier just to kind of I don't, you know, be there and listen, but yeah. from my point and you of think, view. Yeah, I guess the point of view is that you think you're going to upset the person who lost somebody, but, but like, I would be, so if someone came up to me and says, like, do you want to talk about Hank? I'd be, yes, please. Absolutely. Let's, let's talk about it. I mean, I was thinking about him right now anyway. So let's, you know, I'm happy to continue the conversation out loud with someone else. So, you know, you're you're not bringing up know. something that's going to to upset me at all. It would be a delight to uh, to that's speak about. Thank you. Really good to know because we yeah. is as a society in Ireland, we're nearly brought up to go. Don't mention it. You'll upset them. Oh, Don't yeah, mention yeah. it. Yeah. So you know. Yeah, the cancer and stuff like that. Whisper all oh, that the cancer. You know, all that kind of. You'll upset yeah, yeah. them even more. You know. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Which is nonsense. Which is not. Which is a, the re, sort of the repressed society that we. We've come from. I'm. I'm. I turned fifty this year, so I've. I've. You know, I grew up in the, in the seventies. So I. I'm kind of remember all that sort of repressed, hushed, 
kind of things. Oh, you don't want to upset people and, you know, this, that and the other. And I think that's what hurt people the most was keeping quiet. And it's kind of fueling me, you know, talking to people like you on podcasts and being on RT news and talking to news talk and stuff like that about this taboo subject that shouldn't be taboo. That's hurting people by not acknowledging it. I mean, I spent seven years after Hank died um, getting morbidly obese and slowly killing myself. And that obesity was, was definitely a, a physical manifestation of my depression, 100%. And I got to the condition where I was going to die if I didn't do something about it. And um, I just, I, I remember, I remember lying in bed completely still and my entire body was shaking like a beached whale just from my heart pumping just, tell you what just you from my heartbeat first. my heart was just was struggling so much to just to pump oxygen and blood around my body to keep me alive and i was i wasn't doing any i hadn't run up the stairs not that i could anyway in that condition but I hadn't done anything to exert myself. I was lying flat in bed. I just said out loud into the darkness, I'm going to die. And it was, my boy was asleep in the next room and I just thought, I, I gotta be there for him. I gotta be there for him. I was around the same age as my dad was when I nearly lost him to a massive coronary. And I was, in college at the time, early first first year in college, second year in college. So I was around nineteen or twenty at the time, and that devastated me. When I arrived in the hospital and seen my this grey, shrunken figure in the bed that was once my dad, and like he he survived and he's since recovered and he's still with us, and I love him to bits. But I'll never forget it. You know, twenty years of age, and I went. I went suddenly deaf in one ear just from the shock of seeing my dad at death's door like that. And my son at the time was about to turn 10 and I thought, this, there's no way I could do that to him. There's no way I can do that to a little boy. And that was a real fuel to my getting my shit together, essentially. Yeah. And it, it, it so happened to coincide with my discovering a bereaved father's group and it just the, the sort of the planets aligned you know <laughs> and uh, I went to that dad's meeting um, who was hosted by a little lifetime foundation which are an organization that help um, bereaved parents of uh, infant loss when when did and, you decide when was the turning point um because I was just looking at your picture here which um, I'll put up online as well with your permission on with the podcast. Sure, go ahead. And yeah. it, it doesn't look like you at all um, sitting <laughs> in a chair. And you were, we were just talking before you come on and you were saying that that was two weeks, mm -hmm. after, two weeks after yes. or before, after. Two weeks, it was definitely two weeks after I began um, my, by changing my relationship with food. Um, I didn't go on a diet because I think dieting is bullshit. I think yeah. the diet industry is a multi-billion dollar industry because it sets people up to fail. They yeah. want your repeat custom. And I yo-yoed for years. 
you know, I tried all sorts of different things and I guess I quit dieting was, you know, was what I did. Um, I bet, yeah, I changed my relationship with food. I tried to be a bit more sort of mindful of what I was putting in my body and what I was using as fuel and, and breaking it down to, you know, is it really worth, you know, hurting my future self by having this moment of sensory pleasure right now? Because it's just a fleeting moment of sensory pleasure that's, okay, some things can be delicious, but a lot of, you know, certain foods are designed to be, you know, that kind of way. You know, they, yeah, the, the, their marketing teams call it craveability, when in reality, that just means they're addictive. Yeah. Simple as that, you know. They, they pump up the craving. Exactly. Yeah, whatever the, you know, dopamine ignitions that they, yeah. you know, produce yeah. in the brain that and all stuff. that kind of stuff. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Well, so just getting you're, back. you're sort of built up to fail, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, you are. With, you're built up to fail. Yeah. So just getting back then to what, what made you, because by the sounds of it, you were seven years mm. in, in yourself. So what made you go and seek out this group for dads? Um, it was it was just by chance. Um, it, uh, they put a tweet out on Twitter, you know, <laughs> like something good came out of Twitter, you know. And um, I spent a lot of my time in those seven years just um, uh, sitting on my ass, kicking a mouse, you know. And just very, I was very fortunate to have seen. Uh, and and I do, I went through my emails and I did find. Uh, an email exchange that I had with a little lifetime back in 2011, which is the year of Hank died. And, and I never followed it up. And you just weren't ready. I think so. I think yeah. so. Like I, like, I, like, like I said before, you know, we're all experts in our own grief and I just dealt with it the way I dealt with it. Um, and I do remember they noticed in, in a little lifetime is that they were putting on, on meetings for, uh, like an open forum meetings for couples to come. And what they noticed was that um, when the couples would come, the dad was a support for the mum and the mum would do 99.99% of the talking in these meetings. And the, the, the father role was just to be the support person. So then they very astutely noticed that there was something missing here. They needed to give the men an opportunity to speak. And um, I found that very appealing um, because I don't think if I was in that situation with, uh, with Hank's mum, I don't, I don't think I would have spoke, spoken a word. I would have sat there, listened, said goodbye, went on my way. And I never would have, I, even the thought of opening my mouth in that scenario would have been far too intimidating i mean i suffer from anxiety anyway but that's that's that didn't you know that was not appealing so when it, when i learned about just dads only speaking out or well not speaking out but speaking intimately with each other in a small group i thought well that's something i need to investigate and um it was it was profound because as i i cried when i read the tweet I cried when I followed it up in an email to ask them where to go. Can I have directions where, where to be? And I arrived, pulled up outside their premises and I cried in the car. And I was like, what am I doing? I can't do this. I can't do this. 
And I went to the meeting. There were a lovely bunch of lads, and I sat down. And then one of the guys began by telling his story. And I was sitting at the table with one leg out the door. The fight or flight response was was enormous and I wanted to I wanted to leg it I was like no I can't do this and leave and he took he took the time to tell his story and it went around the table and everyone was taking turns and I, it came to my turn and I just broke into tears in like it was seven years of repressed emotions just came flooding out of me like a tsunami and they just said there was, <laughs> there was no judgment. There was no judgment whatsoever because they all knew. They all know what those tears were. They've all cried those tears themselves. So there was zero judgment and there was no mocking. There was no jeering. There was no nothing. You know, it was just, we'll, get, we'll come to you when you're, when you're ready. And they carried on speaking. And, and what I realized in that moment is that we were all telling the exact same story. The only thing that was different was the locations, the names, the events, the character names, whatever. But it was fundamentally the exact same story. And it was profound, you know, because for the first time in seven years, I realized I wasn't alone. Mm -hmm. And it was the loneliness that was killing me. And it was, I've been on an onward trajectory ever since then, you know, and it's that, that group has been, you know, it's an, it's an important anchor and an important place to revisit. You, they're there when you need them and you can float in and out. And people float in and out all the time. You see them for three or four weeks at a time and then they disappear for a year and then come back again. You know, so it's, well, it's a nice, isn't beautiful it? anchor. Yeah, you do. You would go through probably waves mm -hmm. where you just need the support again, like birthdays, Christmases, different things where you probably just need to reconnect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all those kind of all those kind of landmarks are always they're always present. You know, when you know, the end of a school year or whatever. You know, and you know, you collect your boy from school, and and you see someone from his class coming out, and then the the little sister that would have been Hank's age runs out as well, and you're like, so every day there's always constant reminders of of this other little boy that should be, you know, coming running out when I play video games like with COVID lockdown and I play I'm I'm his brother uh, uh, you know for a lot of the time you know because I'm playing video games you know I just think wouldn't it be just awesome if you had a little 10 year old brother there and in, in fighting with him and playing with him and having rows and just being brothers you know it's so it, those those thoughts never they never leave you but it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. It's just, it's a thing. It is what it is. It's there. I think the most important thing I'm listening, I'm getting out of this conversation anyway, and this is why, I don't know, I just get drawn to things and I do believe they're for a reason, um, to talk about it. Because mm, yeah. I, I know lots of women who had miscarriages or maybe um, like that, lots of things happening where the child isn't here now today mm -hmm. and nobody talks about it. Like it's that, not right. it's yeah. awkward, but I'm glad you brought it up because we don't know do these people want to talk about this or not, and they clearly want it. They clearly need to talk about it. I guess I guess you need to to pick your conversations because sometimes maybe you don't, you know. So yeah, yeah. I, I guess you need to be tre tread carefully. But yeah. 
if you if I guess if you were willing if they knew you were willing to have that conversation even knowing that you're willing to have that conversation when they're ready would be a powerful and, and lovely thing for for someone who's I feel it's an unnecessary suffering I think it really is we suffer unnecessarily and and that's why I've you know I've been very public with my story now to sort of sort of break the taboo and just say look it's okay you know and you're not alone yeah you know by the sounds of it, it pro- you probably weren't ready seven years is a long time though isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah seven years it's it was probably a a fog a foggy it's a yeah uh, looking back on those seven years now i mean i was i mean putting on the weight and all that was a you know was a very gradual it was gradual i the way i i, I um I equate it to is you know that that experiment, not that they carry it out anymore, but that experiment where if you put a frog in a book in a bowl of water, and then you gently apply heat to it, the frog will boil to death. But if you you know got this a bowl of boiling water, you plopped in a frog, it'll jump out immediately. So it's a very gradual thing that you don't notice. And and the weird thing is that you, is that you blame clothing manufacturers for mislabeling their things you blame the, the the washing machine for for shrinking your t-shirt but you right. never look at yourself to blame you know and it's no it's you that's that's putting on the weight and would and you have been an emotional eater before um this happened or i i enjoyed food you know i enjoyed food i never really had any kind of rules about it and i did you know i was never mr athlete or anything like that so i was i was always a bit toby a bit overweight and you know you know just you know the middle-aged spread kind of yeah. occurred in on yeah. cue you know and I never really thought anything about it you know I never really it didn't really bother me until it bothered me yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know you said, it, it, was, um, it you certainly mentioned... accelerated after Hank died for sure yeah well it was just more as you said you just needed a hug and the food was giving you that sense mm. of comfort short oh it was, yeah it was amazing but it was it became an addiction though that was the problem yeah particularly when I was doing it uh, covertly um, I would do it in secret I would you know wait until people were asleep in the house and I'd sneak out and get to the chipper before it shut and I'd buy so much food that I you know can I have an extra fork because I was too embarrassed to you know acknowledge that it was all for me kind of thing and then I would just feast and feast and feast you know and yeah, when this and it just it felt really good. It felt really good. And there was a weird saying that my grandmother had about um, I don't know if it was an old Catholic thing or not, but you know that you never said never send a baby to bed hungry. Did you ever hear yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an old Irish thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is that child going to bed hungry? That's what we. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. As if you're the you know, as if you're poor or something like that or whatever, some kind of statusy judgmenty thing. I don't know what it was, but I always had that in my head of like I'm, I'm I'm going to bed hungry I better not because it's uncomfortable yeah but um what I've learned in 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 the couple of years now that I've been sort of getting myself um together and I hate saying losing weight I think I, I, I'd rather see it as health gain rather than weight loss or release, um, your release and stuff mm. you kind of say release I say release to anyone that I work with because it, generally when someone has weight on, it's mm-hmm. generally coming from something emotional that they're carrying. So gotcha. each time mm. they're kind of releasing a little bit more of 
what they were mm. holding in that was causing the pain. So that's mm. kind of what we kind of say is releasing. So it's like okay. hard to let go of it sometimes because that's the comfort blanket. Exactly, yeah. So it's a yeah. process. It's a, like sometimes you, the weight comes back on really quickly because you want your comfort blanket back. Yeah. So you have yeah. to be comfortable releasing that as well. And that's what we talk about a lot as well is you, you have to kind of nearly sit with it. And how do mm -hmm. I feel about losing this blanket now? Like, and then go again. And how do I feel? Go again. So it's a process. So yeah. generally when I see anyone, like it's always women I work with anyway, if I find that they're like releasing the weight too quick, I slow them down because gotcha. you might get to that point where your blanket's gone and you're like, where's it gone? And then yeah. the panic can sit in and then the weight comes back on really quickly again. So it's always kind of, celebrate it but celebrate the letting go as well it's what we kind yeah, of yeah. Said, you know it's funny you should say that because i i kind of said it before that you know i felt like i was putting on layers of protection hmm. you know and this so it sort of goes goes with what you're just saying yeah um yeah no it was it was so lose, losing weight was a byproduct of getting healthy i think yeah. um because you know i the condition i had et myself into wasn't just getting fat it was um hypertension it was severe risk of stroke it was pre-diabetic you know i all sorts of lists of things you know the, the doctor was like afraid i was going to have a stroke in the office while i was there and uh you know so they wanted to find out what medication to put me on for the rest of my life and i, and I was like no i'm having none of that so I, you know, I'm a bit of a, I guess I'm a bit of an autodidact, a bit of a nerd. <laughs> so I just dove into nutrition in a big way and made myself uh, kind of a human guinea pig and tried many things very quickly and managed to lose pretty much half my body weight in 10 months. Wow. So that goes against your philosophy there about losing weight too quickly. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Well, no, to be well, I deal with women and it's a lot we, we have to go a bit slower, but men mm. when men put their mind to things, it's gone. Yeah, no, I, I was severely hyper focused when it came to yeah, it. And I was gone. Yeah. I, because I was fighting for my life and yeah. I, it was an emergency. Well, it was and a sense of when, emergency. Yeah. There was, yeah. I had to do something drastic and it was it was either doing something drastic of having, you know, my chest plate ripped apart, you know, by surgeons to fix me or do something drastic for myself, be my own, you know, you know, doctor, as yeah. it were, you know. Um, yeah, when the urgency is there, it's different because yeah, ladies yeah. with hormonal problems like thyroid, there's no sense of urgency where the doctor's mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. well, you have to kind of do it, but when there's urgency, then the girls are right, right, you're focused. You're like, I have to do this. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, um, it was, it was tremendous. And the thing is, I didn't, I didn't do any exercise whatsoever. It was all to do with what my relationship with food. Again, I'm not going to call it a diet because mm -hmm. diets are temporary yeah. and diets are yeah. bullshit. And <laughs> we, won't go into, we won't go into that uh, can of worms. But uh, I did take a more mindful approach. I got, I, you know, studied the, our circadian rhythms and uh, their metabolic winter hypothesis and things like that, that were very, just made, it, they just made sense. Perfect and I figured sense. if I follow this protocol, this natural way of eating, like eating food from the earth yeah. rather than food with a barcode, then, then I was, 
And eventually, you know, a Snickers bar used to be the thing that, you know, was like, <clears throat> that's what's going to give, it was the honk that I called it, you know, that honk <laughs> sort of sound you make when you dive into some kebab or something that's yeah. really just, you know, satiating and <clears throat> gets you on a guttural level, the honk. Yeah, so Snickers bars were me honk. And then after a period of about six weeks, like uh, a, a red bell pepper eaten like an apple was 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 what was doing was doing it for me you know so it, it's amazing how how quickly and adaptable the human machine is i mean we've we've evolved over millions of years to be in this condition and, and morbid obesity is a is a natural state for the body to be in through an unnatural means so yeah. just take that unnatural means out and your body will sort of reset i guess you know and and that's not this. I'm still, I'm, I'm still overweight. You know, I might be running crazy, silly miles, but I'm still an overweight guy. I still haven't gotten my BMI metric oh, under, under 25, you know, so I'm not, I'm not I'm concerned about, about that. <laughs> not I mean, it, it's, it's a handy little metric and I don't, I never, even when I was losing the weight, it was all about how tight I can, uh, you know, close my trousers. Do I put another notch on my belt? Yeah kind of thing can I go from a triple XL which I did going to uh you know I can put on a medium t-shirt now which is insane from a 3XL to a medium so um they were the kind of that was that was for 2018 wasn't it 2018 yes yes that's not that long ago at all that's three years ago yeah less than three years ago yeah Yeah. it'll be three it'll be three years this May yeah and three, years this May. three years ago the doctor said that you probably wouldn't live till you were 50 mm, that was um they said a, a couple of years before then see i it never it was i never <laughs> i ignored the doctor that's how depressed i was i ignored the doctor and i never went back and it was another couple of years before i i you know the, you know really got my shit together and that's that's the weird thing about depression that's the weird thing about i guess the repressed you know man bullshit thing you know oh who i'm not looking for help you know you know you get you get men who would like you know they chop their arm off and there's oh i'd be grand you know and it's like i don't know what the what the aversion is because i'm not like mr fucking you know alpha male type you know so but i still have that kind of trait that male trait of that you know it's your you don't want to look for help and yeah and things well, like that and well as I it's a weird before, one come on I had it I grew up in a house of boys which is mom and mm. five brothers and it was a case of literally fell off the shed cracked their head on the on the floor <laughs> the hospital sure she grand literally yeah. like cracking their heads breaking arms everyone yeah. if there was an arm broken or a leg broken everyone had something broken at one stage there was never a child without anything broken and it was a case of yeah you're grand up there now yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have can i ask you a question now you don't have to ask this but yeah. they, obviously for confidentiality reasons but the other men in the group were they mm-hmm. experiencing the similar kind of sim- symptoms of depression as you or was everybody a bit different Everyone was different. Like probably the only regrets, different things are different. Can you can you repeat that? Sorry. Was everyone kind of like you know the way your comfort was food? Was there some people alcohol, some people everything, whatever? Men find you know 
do whatever works, you know, and I guess some some turn to alcohol, some turn to drugs, some turn to violence, you know, and I'm not talking about the guys in the group. I'm just talking yeah. broadly. Yeah. Um, and they turn to anything but confronting their emotions. And that's what we were doing around that table is confronting our emotions and really just letting our souls open in front of each other. And I, and I was sitting down with, and I, these are lads that, that, you know, we're, that I wouldn't probably ordinarily in, 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 in others, in my own social circle would probably never encounter these guys, you know, but we're unfortunately members of this secret club that nobody wants to be a member of, you know, nobody wants to qualify to be in this, in this group, but we're thrown together and we're from all different walks of life. But what connects us is something that's become quite beautiful. And that's one thing I noticed on the very, at, at that first meeting is one thing that was brought up is that, that our, our sense of compassion has elevated enormously since losing our babies. And that was something that's 100% wholeheartedly agreed upon by all of us. Is that the, and I think compassion is, and altruism in particular, is innate in everybody. And it's something that we repress. Mm. And it's, 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 a, it's a tragedy of modern society, I guess, where everyone's sort of looking after number one and, you know, that sort of 80s thing, you know, of, of you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, and it, it should upset them. Yeah. Mm. So it's, um, they're just, a, I mean, I love them. They're a great bunch of lads, you know, and it's, um, I wish I didn't know them the way I know them, <laughs> you know, yeah. I wish we yeah. perhaps, you know, met under different circumstances, but that's well, how we know each other. And that's, that's what really binds us and connects us, you know, and you probably wouldn't have met them under different circumstances. Do you know, you, you, this is it. Yeah. That's what I so in what advice would you have for dads listening to this, who might be struggling or even moms listening to this, who might be going through a similar situation? Um, as a couple and she sees her husband struggling a little bit, what advice would you be able to give in your opinion, just off based on your experience? I would just immediately say is that you're not alone. Um, that there's, there's hundreds of thousands of, of men who have who've endured, you're, you're spe specifically speaking of repressed uh, emotions from infant loss, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so you're not alone. That's it. You're not alone. Know that you're not alone. And just know that. And, you know, just give me a shout, you know, and I'll point you in the right direction. I've been doing these, running these stupid miles and connecting with lots of different groups around the country and around the UK as well. And it's, um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. The amount of support I'm getting is because the fact that men don't take this kind of initiative. And I never, I never intended to sort of be the, the the spokesperson for for bereaved dads or anything like that but you know I, i'm i'm happy to do it if it if it if it's helping other lads who are having a really fucking hard time because who i want to speak to is the me i was for those seven years and i'm sure there's hundreds of me i was out there who are suffering unnecessarily and i just want to say to them that you're not alone that you will find your tribe eventually you know you mightn't you mightn't be at the end of the tunnel yet but it's going to happen it's inevitable 
that it's going to happen. There's, you know, the sun is always shining above the clouds, those dark, horrible clouds that are claustrophobic to you. The sun is constantly shining above them and the, the clouds will clear eventually, you know. I guess that's all I can say is, is yeah, there is hope. It exists. Do you think that you've definitely found a little bit of peace? Not you'll probably never get fully, but a little bit knowing that you're able to do something like this and been able to talk and I I I embarked on those ten marathons. Um <clears throat> I don't mean peace now as in you'll you'll never forget, but as in but you know. I yeah, no, this is this is definitely answering your question. Um although it's a tough one to answer. Um I went into those 10 marathons not knowing what I was looking for. Had no idea what I was looking for. I just had this determination and drive to acknowledge Hank and let the world know that he existed and that I would do anything for him. Because, you know, anyone, I mean, you're a mum, right? You'd do anything for your kids. Mm. And you'd, you'd run a marathon for your kids. No worries. Oh, oh any, any amount. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, think of it this way. Just think, if you just picture anyone listening, just picture the person who means the most to you in your life right now. Picture that person. You're out, let's say, in the Australian outback for whatever reason, and they're bitten by a snake. And there's no transportation, no nothing, but 13.1 miles, that direction is the medicine. You can't bring them with you because if they start moving, then the venom will go through course through their veins quicker so they you have to leave them behind you will run like a bat out of hell those 13.1 miles and you'll run back as quick as you can with that medicine no problem it won't be pretty you'll be fucked at the end of it but you'll do it if you have determination and drive you can do anything you know i was a 350 pound morbidly obese man and only a couple of years ago and i ran 10 marathons in 10 days because I love my son so much, you know, it's, yeah. so we're capable, anyone can do, there's nothing remarkable or special about me. All I did was yeah. change my relationship with food and start running, you know, and. Yeah, but you have a big enough reason why as well. You have the form mm. there all the time, which is to get up and go. Um, mm. But I was getting on to where, oh, yeah. where, I, where, I yeah. found, where I found peace in the, in the strangest, um, in the strangest, strangest place. place. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, the, the, doing the 10 marathons in 10 days represented the, I mean, every year for the last 10 years, the sort of the 10 days or so coming up to the 1st of February, which was Hank's birthday, and then the 2nd of February, which is the day he died. Um, all those days, I mean, January is a shitty month for everyone anyway, post-Christmas, post-New Year's, and you're kind of in that sort of funk of midwinter and the darkness and all that. But those days leading up to the anniversary was always a sort of very introspective time and a very sort of maudlin sort of heavy, heavy time to sort of deal with. And then when, you know, the birthday would come, we'd have a celebration. And we were, quite, we were kind of grateful that he, he did die the next day and not the same day. So we have, we can compartmentalize the two days and we can have a celebration. We can have a cake and, have an empty seat at the table and then Ike, my son, blows out his candle for him. And, you know, so we can have that little separation. And then the next day we can, we sort of put our heads down. And then 3rd of February, the year can begin. 
So running, so essentially every day leading up to those days is a marathon, you know, and, and because of, because of COVID um, uh, restrictions put in after, after Christmas, um, I found a running track, Claremont Stadium here in, in Navan, which is within my 5K, uh, or close to the public. So I asked them, could I do it there? So I ended up run, doing it on a, on a 400 meter running track. So, which was- Round and round. Which was, yeah, yeah. Round and round in circles for, for 10 days. Basically ran pretty much the length of the country on a 400 meter running track over, four, over 10 days. So it's, uh, yeah, it was an insane thing to do in retrospect. You know, if I if I'd done that maths beforehand, I would probably never have done it. But um, what what those what those marathons represented was, and in the word marathon as well does kind of represent something that's an ordeal, you know, something that's tough to get through. And you know, oh, felt like work today felt like a marathon, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. It's um. So every day felt all those days in those last 10 years did feel like a marathon every day and then just the next day you had to get up and do it all over again you know and you've no choice but to get up and do it all over again and that's what these these marathons were represented and then the, the track then just was like that hamster hamster wheel of monotony just the same thing over and over and over and over again and it was you know I became very intimate with that running track you know I know every single inch of it and um, there's, there was eight lanes on on the track. It's a you know a proper a Olympic style uh, running track. And I'm not an athlete at all. What's I'm just a, a guy who runs. So it's not it's not it's not a home to me. It's not a place that I'm comfortable. I like going out in nature and running around in the trails. That's that's where I find my joy. Um, but I. I I committed to do this because it was important to me. And, uh, you know, at the end of each marathon, you're like, fucking hell, I did it again. How is that even possible? How am I doing this? You know, and, you know, the alarm goes off in the morning. It's like, okay, this is my fourth marathon in four days. How the fuck? It's my fifth marathon in five days. What the, how am I doing this? And you just keep surprising yourself. You know, there's something within the human animal that just compels us i mean that's how we went from the plains of africa to every part of the planet is that our ability to endure our ability to keep going despite the odds to be able to succeed in just doing the most you know crazy things and then then i mean the weather was pretty cold it was winter it was back in january you know the i think it was 25th to 26th of january whatever it was when i began um and it was it snowed day two, and it was freezing day one, and then, then on day eight, um, it rained like sleet rain at like, you know, forty five yeah. degrees. It was windy and cold, and it was it was an area that I hadn't experienced before, and. You know, I'm I'm new to whole, this whole ultra running ultra running world, so I wasn't really sure of should I be taking hot drinks, should I do any of these kind of survivalist things? Because you know, I'm 700 meters from my front door, so I could end it at any time. You know, so I never felt really in danger. 
But on that day, um, there was a buddy of mine who came up every day just to take photographs every day. And I was very close to hypothermic and I had my, everything had soaked through to my bone. And, and I was trying to change my clothes. I was trying to eat some peanuts and I couldn't even feel my hands. My gloves were soaked through. The wind was so cold that I just, I couldn't stop shivering. And um, I was like, here, I have some money. Will you please go to the shop and get me some waterproof gloves? That's all I need is just to feel my hands. I could live with everything else, but I just needed my hands back so, so I could eat some peanuts just to, you know, keep going you know and he's like dude it, all the shops are shut and i'm like oh fucking covid yeah you're right and in the car he managed he had a couple of doggy bags doggy poo bags and a couple of you know plastic gloves so we sort of managed to macgyver some kind of you know Technique, plastic, yeah. yeah just to get the plastic gloves on and the doggy bags wrapped around me and i just had just my own body heat then eventually kind of warmed them up a bit but it was it was and then i couldn't feed myself because i my hands were wrapped in doggy bags. And I could have ended this at any time, 700 meters from my front door. And then the sun went down because I was taking so long and I was limping around the track. This is like my eighth marathon in eight days. It was, you know, and the only place I could find solace was at one end of the track where there was a, some trees and some houses and the wind was a lot less intense down there so i just ended up doing a circuit of that small little bit of the end of the track and i was uncontrollably sobbing and and limping and and i'd try to run and my legs would give up and i would just bawl my eyes out crying and then the wind would pick up and everything and i had to keep moving because every time i stopped my body temperature would go down i had to keep moving or else i'd go hypothermic and that was what I was most afraid of. But that's where I found peace. In, in, that, in that chaos, in that absolute chaos, in that, you know, this self-inflicted state that I was in, that I could have ended at any time, that I found peace. And it was like, you know, looking into the void, and what's looking back is you, you know, and and it was it was so profound and beautiful that I just it was just everything stopped the cold I didn't stop feeling cold I stopped feeling the wind and just everything appeared beautiful and I was like I I found it I found peace I never thought I'd I didn't know that's what I was looking for. But that's what I found. And I, I kind of got the sense that Hank was saying, look, it's, it's okay. I know you love me. It's all right, man. You don't need to do this anymore. And I managed to finish the marathon. I got to the end, the 42.2 kilometer distance, and I packed up my gear. And I walked home because, you know, 700 meters to the front door. And I just said, that's it. I said, sent a couple of texts to my buddies and said, I think I found my breaking point. I think I'm done. I don't need to do any more. I am grand. I've met, I've, I've, I think I've, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with it ending. Eight marathons in eight days is, is okay. Uh, and my, Jeremy running buddy who came out and did some tremendous support 
came out uh, six of the 10 days and did two of the marathons with me. He's a really good guy. I just I sent him a text and I said, look, tomorrow I think I'll just finish with a 10K or maybe 10 miles. We'll see how it goes, but I'm done. I'm done with the marathons. So I, I'm okay with that. And I, I, I felt so relief because I just let it all go. Yeah. Oh, I just let it all go. And I said, I don't, this commitment, it doesn't really matter in the greater scheme of things. You know, you just like zoom out and look at the pale blue dot. This is all ultimate, utterly meaningless. And that's beautiful. <laughs> and we got to the 10K and we sat down, we had a snack. I said, right, let's do 16K, which is 10 miles. We did that. And before I knew it, we're at 22K. And I looked at Jaron, I just said, I guess we're doing a marathon. <laughs> and that was it. And just once I let go yeah. of everything, and I, I carried on, did marathon number nine and got up on day 10 with a big smile on my face. And was like, right, I'm off to do, this is Hank's birthday. Let's go celebrate his birthday. And I managed to do it. And I'm really pleased and proud of, of what I achieved. But finding that peace in the midst of all that turmoil is something you can't put a dollar value on. That was something very, very special. But it was also a place of utter, utter turmoil, you know? Yeah. It's completely self-inflicted, I know. But it's amazing what you can find when you're at your lowest ebb, you know? Yeah, that's, that's mad. That's actually... That's, it's mad. I've heard someone else say something like that before. I don't know, do you follow Brian Keane Fitness? He's no, sorry, no. Ultra marathon. He's from Galway, you should look him up. He does ultra marathons mm -hmm. all the time, but he did something to his ankle in the Sahara Desert or somewhere ridiculous, anyway, ridiculous. Freezing mm -hmm. cold temperatures at night, roasting during the day in bits. Yeah, yeah. And whatever, he just, whatever got in his head, he was, he, he ran the rest of the way with the ankle in bits. In bits. Yeah. He just said it yeah. just what happened. It was just as he said, he said something similar to you, but not in a grieving way, but just you find something and you're just like, what is this? It, we're, it's in with it's within <laughs> us all though. It's within us all, no matter who you are, what life experience you've got, you there's something in you that will push you to continue. It's innate, it's part of us, it's hardwired into us, absolutely hardwired into us. And one of the crazy things about those marathons is that every day. I found a time to sprint flat out Jeez. and I, I, you know, I finished the, 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 the final marathon running full tilt, like, like as, as, you know, 5k pace, yeah. you're not supposed to be able to do that, but somehow you can, <laughs> you know, and I'm not a fucking athlete. I'm not Eamon Coughlin. I'm not like any of those guys, you know, I'm just a, just, <laughs> just a regular dude. Like, you know, there's nothing special about me at all. But, I, think, uh, um, no. I think it's a good message, though, that sometimes you have to go through, endure to not like, it, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but people avoid it, avoid mm. the pain. So sometimes you have to go into it. Yeah, to, yeah. To see it, if, if I'm making sense. I think it's, it's a lot to do with, I guess, our comfort zone. And yeah. uh, I'm very, very intimate with comfort zone because I spent, you know, those seven years with, in, yeah. comfort, in comfort eating. And that's satiating feeling that just just feels good. Yeah. But there's there's the, what 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 I was neglecting is that sort of that that definite yin yang in life that you can't have the sweet without the sour, you can't have the rough without the smooth, you can't have up without down. There has to be 
yeah. dichotomy. There has to be that kind of duality, I guess. So you can't experience joy without sadness. Yeah. You know, you, that's, so there's a lot of benefit to feeling sad because without it, you don't experience joy. Yeah. You know, and I, I, the, the sadness and grief and the horrible trauma of losing my boy hurts so much is because love exists. Mm. And that's a wonderful thing. And I don't think that should be shied away from and that should be celebrated. Yeah. No, you're right. It's such, there's loads of messages in this. I'm just speechless. I don't know what to say. I can see you there in the moment, just finding your peace going, here it is all the time. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it was, it wasn't anywhere else other, only inside myself. Yeah. You know, and that's, and it exists and it's not just in me, it's in everyone. You, you can find your inner peace and not to sound like a, a tree hugging hippie banging, you know, bells and lighting incense, but you know, our inner peace is a, a very, attainable place you don't have to do something stupid like i did by running a marathon in in you know fucking windshield minus zero you know storm anywhere i found i found my inner peace in a meditation (laughs) and i say this all the time i i have to find you one's name i have to google it but anyway she's a well-known feminist in dublin i don't even know if she's still alive from renla and she was often on rt years ago on about you know the women's rights to work and went to this meditation group I was advised by my um psychiatrist at the time not psychiatrist was she a psychiatrist I don't know they're all the same um <laughs> they're all the same to go to this meditation anyway um talk therapy and I went and I was the only one there under the age of 65 I think and mm. um, I was like what am I doing here okay it's on the right time for me because it's a Wednesday I'm off work and it's only fiver but um they were all just snoring and everything. And I said, it took me three weeks to get into it. And I was going, oh, what is she sending me here for? So I ended up getting into it. And that's where I found my inner peace was in my head, mm-hmm. um, in meditation. I was like, what is, mm-hmm. what is this movie I'm playing out inside my head? And that was my inner peace. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> mm. it's, it's funny you should say that, actually, because I think I do. I do feel um, meditation is is a big part of my life and that was something i found um after hank died and i quit drinking um because alcoholism is a very real uh thing in my family Mm. and i recognized it in myself and i figured if i didn't take a proactive step at that moment that's that was going to be the death of me so um i quit drinking very soon after he died because it was becoming becoming a crutch I wasn't like a daily drinker or anything like that but I was certainly a binge drinker and um so I the week on the weekends I would just drink till I blacked out and doing that every weekend was becoming ridiculous but um anyway I digressed a little bit there but what um the the meditation I I I was always fascinated with and 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 once I quit drinking then about a year after Hank died that's where I, I do feel that that practice that I've I've had is like the bedrock of everything that I've built upon since then uh, in the last uh, sort of eight or nine years of having that practice um but I I I gotta say though um in the in the in the beginning days like for the first six months I think I wept at the end of every sit Mm. because I felt like I was sort of releasing some kind of just demons whatever whatever you want to call it and then after that time, I was almost a bit disappointed that I wasn't weeping at the end of every set because it felt really great. But then, of course, you got to practice non-attachment. And then 
then after about a year of that, I went to my first retreat and uh, met a, a Buddhist monk and was like, what am I doing here? And this little bald man. And I'm like, Christ, okay, okay. I've signed up for this for the weekend. Let's, let's just do it anyway. Felt like complete imposter and that I shouldn't have been there. And then on the final day, um, he did, I don't know how familiar you are with Buddhist teaching, but he did what's called uh, uh, a metta meditation. Metta means loving kindness. Oh, yeah. And, and that was when what I was doing for the past year started to make sense. Because mindfulness on its own is only one part of the Buddhist path. There's the Eightfold Path. There's seven other aspects of it that aren't used in, in sort of the secularization, I guess, of, of mindfulness. Because yeah. um, you can use mindfulness to become uh, a really excellent sniper to kill people from a distance, you know? <laughs> that's, not what's, that's not what the rest of the Eightfold Path is about. But anyway, I digress again. Um, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is that... Um, is having that mindful practice, is having that meditation practice in particular, and Vipassana, is, I, is everything that I've achieved lately has been built upon that practice, I think. And it's, it's you know, forever going to be a work in progress till the day I die. And, you know, I, I haven't reached the end of anything right now, and I will continue yeah. to build on just, exp you know, not exponentially, but just build 1% every day yeah. onto, onto what I've established. because. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trailing off now. I apologize. No, no, you're not, because the, the message I'm getting from it is for people just to explore avenues. And mm. what I used to do was run from my thoughts because I thought that I couldn't sit with them. But I mm -hmm. discovered with uh, meditation and breathing that actually sitting with them is helping me. It's bringing them up slowly when at a pace that I'm ready for it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then yeah. a little bit released, a little bit released. And it's kind mm. of setting it up at your pace. That's what I found meditation was for me. If yeah, I think what really saved me the last in the last few years was in the last couple of years anyway was was self compassion, mm. and that's what I had the problem with back uh, at that first retreat when he was doing the loving kindness thing. And the loving kindness thing is where I wasn't into it at all because it felt like we were saying our prayers, and and I wasn't. It was like oh god, I was like, well I'm here now, so I'll do it and. And what it was, was, is basically what loving kindness is, is that you extend happy thoughts to whomever, to the people in the room next to you, to the people outside. To, you call to mind someone who is, uh, who's dear to you, and then you call to, someone, call to mind someone you have a problem with, and, and then you offer them, you know, and it's, it's all very cerebral and, and, and almost intellectual in a way, but it came to like, and then try then you need to offer that to yourself. And I was like, I can't do that. I'm not deserving of that. I can't offer myself happy thoughts. That's horrible. <laughs> and, and then he said, like, some people might find, have a problem with this. And I'm like, yeah, too bloody right. <laughs> I mean, how do you offer yourself those things? And, and, and that was something that I learned to do eventually. Um, again, like I said earlier, it always seemed very egotistical and superficial to sort of you know have to, for yourself to no to have uh to, to put yourself first you know and the sort of the analogy that i've kind of used in after learning this was that you know when you get on an airplane and they go through the pre-flight safety sequence and yeah. the airplane staff are saying you know 
in case of emergency and the masks drop down for oxygen is that you put the mask, oxygen mask on yourself first before you deal with anyone else, anyone who needs help. And what I was doing was for seven years was putting oxygen masks on everyone else but me. And so I was completely useless. So who's, you know, I'm passing out or whatever, trying to put oxygen masks on people. And like, it, you cannot, you cannot be of service to others if you can't look after yourself first. Yeah. And that's really important because then it's like, it's like the whole, that old um, saying where you, you know, you act local, think global, because the more you look after yourself, it, it overflows and everyone benefits, you know, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a, again, tree hooking hippie type stuff, but everyone benefits no, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, no, I understand where you're coming from. It's fill your own cup up first and then. Yeah then you can start pouring into other people then what, you, what oh it overflows the same cup overflows and everyone everyone gets a mouthful you know everyone gets to bathe or whatever whatever yeah, whatever you want to it say is yeah. true, so i'm glad you mentioned that because that's a good thing as well um geez, there's so many messages in this podcast people are be like oh i'll probably just leave now oh no i'll wait oh, i'll probably just leave now oh, i'll wait <laughs> oh, hold on i'll wait <laughs> so ian Thanks so much. Before we go, you are doing another, um, you're 50 in September and you're mm -hmm, going mm -hmm. to do um, another kind of ultra, uh, ultra as such, is that what you call it? Yeah, it, it's an ultra. It's Ireland's longest uh, trail ultra marathon and it's a 200 kilometre run uh, around the Kerry Way in, uh, on the, what's not the, is it the Ivory Peninsula? I believe it's the Ivory Peninsula in Kerry which is goes through the um, international dark sky zone, which is a place I love to visit anyway, because it's, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, there's no light pollution down there. So the stars are brilliant. And well, not just the stars, but the entire cosmos is, is visible. You can see the arm of the Milky way in, oh, you know, as clear as day. It's an incredible place. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's one of the, one of the few um, gold standard dark, there's three dark sky, gold standard dark sky zones on planet earth one in the northern hemisphere and it's in Kerry really where mm -hmm. whereabouts in Kerry is that uh Ivory Peninsula it's where Valencia from Valencia down to Waterville Cardaniel that area oh, I'm gonna yeah, that on the Kerry way um because when when you live in Dublin you don't really see the sky as much as you do out no you don't uh, even here you don't you know no, that's what I miss about Galway you don't see the sky as much yeah, yeah. The but there's no light pollution down there and I took my boy down there a couple of years ago and we just lay on the bonnet of the car looking at up. two in the morning on a moonless night looking back into into the you know back into back in time essentially yeah. you know it's incredible and just watching all the satellites go by and you know amazing well, I'm going to look that up. I learned something new. Yeah. This, I want to just mention this before we go because you're doing the 20 kilometers in 40 in 40 hours. Is that right? Have I that? No. No, it's 200 kilometers in 40 two, hours. 200 kilometers. <laughs> I knew I got that. It would be, be a long time if I was uh, doing two, 20 kilometers in 40 hours. <laughs> That's what uh, I think. So 200 kilometers in 40 hours and you're doing hmm. this for a charity, aren't you? That one is that again? one's that one's for me. That's my fiftieth birthday present to oh, myself. Perfect. Yeah, because I I wasn't expected to live to see fifty, so I want to enter my fifties in sort of the best physical and mental shape of my life. And really? I think I think running a two hundred kilometer um, 
ultra marathon across, you know, from the McGillicuddy Reeks around the peninsula and back up into Clarny would be just magical. If I make it to the end, if I DNF, then so be it. But oh, yes. it's, but uh, you know, I'm looking forward to that. But I'm I'm running. I'm continuing anyway with my fundraising for um, my documentary film that I started with the ten marathons in ten days. I'm running another additional marathon every month for the next 10 months. So I'll have a marathon done every month this year. Uh, I just did one there on Sunday along the River Boyne to highlight a little Lifetime Foundation because I think they're, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't, you know, yeah. for the, them putting on the dads group. Brilliant. And, and have you a link to this that I can put in the show notes? Runningforhank.com. Runningforhank.com. I really need, I really need, it's a mess at the minute. I really need to update it, but uh, runningforhank.com will will have everything. But if you go to go uh, runningforhank.com forward slash 101010, that's 10-T-E-N-1-0, that'll take you to the fundraising page. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate that. Ian, thanks a mil. And I'll be long. I'm going to love following your story. So thank you for coming on and sharing. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation and uh, thanks for giving the platform. That's I really appreciate it. Thank you. No, I think I think it, the story needs to get out more. So thank you. Thanks, Ian. Can we have a good evening? And we chat soon. You too. Thank All right, you. brilliant. Bye. All right. Bye. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. So guys, I hope you enjoyed Ian's story. Um, something different for me to do within my podcast, but I thought, why not? use my podcast platform to hopefully um, let mom knows or to show moms out there who may have uh, suffered loss like Hank or like Ian that, um, you know, maybe the men are suffering as well and we need to maybe ask the questions as well. Are they okay? Um, in my eyes, having two people, having two people working together is better than a tug of war going on on either side, which I would have done for years myself within relationships anyway. So definitely having two people flown together um, helps make the situation a little bit better, I think, in my eyes anyway. So thank you to Ian for coming on and highlighting um, from a man's point of view and the dad's point of view of maybe how they feel and everybody suffers in different ways. So don't be afraid to reach out. I've left support links below. I've also left Ian's web, web page below that if you do want to support his fundraising um, for the documentary and for his charities, um, please go check out www.runningforhank.com. All you have to do is slide down along the website and you see, um, you see the donation page there as well. That would be brilliant. I know he's on over 3,000 euro and he needs to get 10. So... Um, yeah, that'd be great if you could go support whatever you could to Ian. Um, so thanks so much, guys, for listening. That was a different podcast, but really, really, I really enjoyed it. Um, it really touched me, my heart, to be honest, if I'm being totally honest. But we have some real stories coming up over the next three episodes. The next one, we have a mom who went through um, cancer with her daughter and the daughter um, got half her leg amputated um her daughter is absolutely flying it now Saoirse so we are going to talk um to her to Saoirse's mom and get the mom's point of view of how she is now where they're at now and the plans for the future and stuff like that just from the mom's point of view a nice um light-hearted story just like Ian's as well and then after that we have another real story um from Liga Liga is actually one of my team members and Liga would have had she would have been punishing her body 
um, years ago with vigorous diets, vigorous um, exercise routines, just because she thought she had to fit in with society and how her body looked. But thankfully, she has found freedom and she is now like really just one of these every time I see her on Instagram or Facebook skipping with a little crop top on it's like she's celebrating who she is now and she looks so free so Liga's going to come on and share her story of how she gained freedom from diets and freedom from how she should look in society and to celebrating her body as it is and um, so I'm really looking forward to the next few episodes as well so stay tuned guys until next week chat then